And the little boy asked, well, which service was that, Daddy, the morning service or the evening service? (laughs) The other story is of a woman who remembered playing church as a girl growing up. She said that she and her friends would get chairs, the chairs into rows. They would fight over who would get to be the preacher. They would vigorously lead the singing for the day, and generally they would have a great time doing that. The aggressive kids wanted to be up front, directing or preaching, and the quieter ones were content to be in the back to sit and be entertained by those who were up front. Occasionally, they were mesmerized by a good speaker, like the girl who said, boo, I'm the Holy Ghost. But in general, if the kids up front did a pretty good job, they could hold the audience's attention for a while. If they weren't so good, eventually the kids would drift off and play something else like jump rope or hide and seek. The woman goes on to say that their generation has grown up now, but most of them haven't changed that much. Every Sunday, they still play church. They line up in rows for entertainment. If it's pretty good, the church might grow. And if it's not too hot, eventually people will drift off and play something else like golf or mountain climbing. Well, as you might guess from these stories, there are a lot of stories about the church. And that's what we're going to talk about today, not stories, but the church. And the church is a big, big subject to talk about, as you know. So, of course, we're not going to tackle very much of it in our time that we have for today. But I hope that we can consider a little bit about this mystery called church that we are a part of and that we support. When I wrote the sermon title for today, I felt like I was starting a best-selling novel, The Mystery of Church. But as I read Francis Chan's book, Letters to the Church, I was struck by his quotes from the book of Ephesians, where Paul speaks about the nature of the church and the mystery that is the church. And as I read through Ephesians myself for this week, I was really impressed by this puzzle, this partly unexplainable institution that we cherish and support. As I read through Paul's letter this week to the Ephesians, I had a hard time deciding on a passage for this text. There's so many great uh, parts to the letter to the Ephesians that uh, it was just hard to, to make a choice. And they all generally talk about the theme of the nature of the church, which is kind of what I wanted to address for today. There was a part in, late in chapter 1 where Paul says that we are the fullness of Christ, We have the gifts and blessings of Christ within us. And so we are Christ's full expression and have the ability to carry out Christ's ministry. Then there's chapter 4 where Paul urges us to live a life worthy of Christ, to be humble and gentle, to be patient and to give ourselves to one another, to sacrifice ourselves for one another in love. Paul also teaches there for the church to be united in spirit. We are a part of one body, and Christ is our head. So we're to be united and under His leadership 
united in faith and support. Late in chapter 5, Paul reminds us that we are a part of Christ's body. Our church makes up a portion of Christ's body, and that's a profound mystery. With all of these great texts, we could talk about this subject for several weeks, but still I had to land on a text for today. But I chose this one because it seems to speak to the heart of the nature of church. Paul starts here in reminding the church that they were once separated from God, and so they were without hope. They weren't necessarily hopeless in everyday, the everyday normal meaning that we somehow focus on, but they had no eternal hope, the hope of being with God, the, the hope of salvation. No special position or status would save them, and no accomplishments or human power would change that status at all. They were separated from God with no way of being reconciled to Him or being in relationship with Him, as I tend to say. But through Christ and His sacrifice on the cross, Paul says that they were brought close to God. They were reconciled and given the hope of salvation. The dividing wall was torn down between God and humankind, as was the wall between Jew and Gentile. And through the work of Christ, we have access to God, and we are a part of God's family, His household. In fact, God says that we are like bricks of a building that are set on a foundation of the apostles and the prophets. We are stones stacked together with Jesus as our cornerstone that we sang about earlier this morning. And together we make a sort of building that is a dwelling place for God, a temple where God lives by His Spirit. Why would God do this? What does this really mean? Well, that's something that we can't fully explain. It's a wonderfully divine mystery that means everything to us, although we don't understand it. It's a puzzling gift and ought to have our mouths drop open in awe and reverence. Thinking about these texts that I've referenced today, there are a few things that we can take away that speak about the nature of church, this church that God has created and Jesus instituted, and why this church ought to matter to us. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are made a part of His body, and we often talk about the church as being a body of believers. So we are a part of something that is much, much bigger than ourselves. It's something that is sacred something that deserves our respect and our awe. Although it's fallible, it's undefinitely, it definitely deserves our very best and the very best that we have to offer each and every day and every time that we come in to this building. Two, as a part of Christ's body, we know that we are united. We are certainly distinct and different people. We have different personalities and different dreams and different desires. So it would be really easy for us to be discontent and complain about this place and the people who come here. It would be easier for us to distance ourselves from 
the church when we don't approve of what's going on here or when the church doesn't do what we want it to do. We could kind of complain and say, I've got this meeting I've got to go to at church. Or I you wouldn't believe what our church wants to do now. That, That pastor is just a little crazy. I understand that it's not always easy to be in the church and serve like the Lord would want you to. The church is made up of people, after all, and that sometimes makes it very difficult to be in church. But as Paul speaks to the church, he encourages us to live in unity. And as we approach our life together in humility and gentleness, as we are patient with each other and sacrifice, are willing to sacrifice ourselves for each other, we have a unity of spirit and purpose that will shock this world. Unity is fostered through us, through our body, as we come together in Jesus. It's Jesus who brought us peace and helps us know a peace that transcends all human understanding. And it's that same peace of Christ that helps bind us together, although we are very, very different. One Bible teacher I came across says that unity is more a oneness of heart, a similarity of purpose, and an an agreement on major points of doctrine. And that's a start of what we work for as we are a united body of believers. So as Paul does, I encourage you to remember to strive for unity in our church. I encourage you to remember that the church is a creation of Jesus to do His work in this world. It's not perfect, but it's the mystery that is God-ordained. We serve as Christ's body with Christ as our head. Three, as I mentioned earlier from chapter 1, Paul says that God has placed Jesus as head over everything in the church and that we are the fullness of Christ. We have the power of the Holy Spirit and we have the gifts and blessings of Christ within us. But sometimes we think that we can't do one thing or another or we can't accomplish what God would want us to do. Still, with that fullness of Christ, we don't lack anything except maybe the courage or faith to accomplish what God would want to accomplish through us. In this congregation, we have God's blessings and gifts, Christ's blessings and gifts at our disposal. And so, we have what we need to be church and to carry out Christ's ministry, the ministry that Christ calls us to. Four. Referring to Paul's illustration about the church for God, or the temple for God, we see that we are a part of that structure. And that is a special honor for us. Think back to the Old Testament passages that refer to the temple in Jerusalem. That temple, of course, was a sacred place and was sacred space. It was honored and revered and well cared for. And somehow in this illustration that Paul gives, we are a part of this dwelling place for God. But think about the times that we sometimes avoid a person at church that annoys you. Or think about the times that we speak badly about the church or another Christian who might not believe or behave as we think they ought to behave. 
Every time we do that, Chan says that it's like you take a sledgehammer to God's temple to try to pound out that brick or destroy that temple altogether. So what does all of this mean for us? The church is a mystery. We accept that. But now what? Well, recognizing that, hopefully you have a renewed sense of awe and reverence for this church that God has given us. Hopefully you have a new respect for this divinely ordained body that you are a part of. And you have a new commitment to support the church and work for God's kingdom through the church. I admit that sometimes we get our priorities mixed up and we focus on the wrong things. We put too much thought into what people say that they want, those things that will make them happy or entice them to come to church or otherwise attract people to come into the doors. We think, well, if we just had a better preacher or if we just had some awesome music, more awesome music, that would be great. What if we all colored our hair so that people would think that we were young? We could maybe get some more people in church and that would make people think we're more hip and relevant. And we get to the point where we convince ourselves that those are the things that are most important than what is really the most important. And of course, that most important thing is our focus on God. It's about our focus on God and God alone. It's about worshiping God and using our gifts in service to God and sharing the love of God through this block of God's good earth that he has entrusted to us. In his book, Chan reminds us that there is no greater honor than to be a part of God's church. When we become believers, we are adopted as God's sons and daughters, and we become a part of this mysterious thing called church. The church is definitely not perfect, but it's God's dwelling place. It's the bride of Christ. It's Christ's body to do his work in the world. It's not something to be disrespected. It's not something to leave and go on your own and try to be a lone ranger Christian. But the church is something to revere, to love, and to support through its difficulties and imperfection. So I hope that you will embrace this mystery that is the church. Love it, honor it, and serve it, all for the glory of God.